Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? The old man gave it to you. It's just very hard to understand you with all the... Surgeon. Apparatus. Nothing, sir. Put him on board. Masters and Padawans to episode 163 of Full Sith. I am the Mike Pilot. With me, my co-hosts, Amy Radcliffe, Brian Young. And there's a, there's a lot to discuss as far as Star Wars goes this week, Brian. And, and what are we going to be talking about on this episode? Um, well, I think one of the things we're going to talk about uh, at the top of the show are going to be the, uh, the comic books that, that we've kind of been keeping up on. I'm not totally caught up on comics, but Poe Dameron came out, and as well as the C-3PO comic. And... Uh, we're going to talk about those some, and uh, we've got some interesting news from Bloodline Ooh. that we're going to talk about, and uh, maybe we'll ans- answer a couple emails if we have time. Okay, cool. Amy, so have you been able to read either one of these comics? Yeah, this was perfect timing, because actually I finally went to the comic book shop on Wednesday after probably a month and a half away, wow. and last night before bed, that's what I did. I read before we even decided what we were talking about, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to read Poe Dameron. And 3PO, and the rest of my stack of comics are just going to have to wait. Well, that's, that's, that is perfect timing. So what about this? Um, why don't you pick which one you want to talk about first? I read the Poe comic. I've been shipping those out to everybody who won them that last week. So I read the Poe one. I probably won't get around to the C-3PO one anytime soon, so I'm not worried about spoilers. So w- which one do you think you'd like to talk about first? You know, I say let's get the 3PO one. I don't want to say out of the way, but let's talk about that first. Okay. Because it's not something that might have, like, if it was longer than a one-shot, I probably wouldn't have read it because I have enough problems as is keeping with, <laughs> like keeping up with ongoing series and 3PO. I, I've recently gained some newfound, not respect, but understanding for him. So he's not one of my favorites, though. But the one shot explained why he had that red arm in The Force Awakens. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe this one shot was supposed to come out like last fall originally-ish. Yeah, I don't know why it kept getting pushed, uh, but for whatever reason, it did. I'm guessing and, uh, someone missed deadlines is probably my guess. No, I've heard that uh, no? the artist had had his work done months and months ago. I have no idea what it was. Huh. Weird. Well, it, it timed well with the ish with the Blu-ray release, so at least there's that. But it ended up pleasantly surprising me um not i just didn't have a lot of expectations going in because that red arm was such a like kind of silly thing in the movie that 3po kept did you not recognize me and then by the end of the movie he has his gold arm back and nobody says anything so 
I admit it was not a story I was super interested like that I had a lot, you know. I didn't even realize the arm was changed at the end of the movie until Brian mentioned it, and then I looked for it the last time I watched the movie. Oh, thank you. You're just reminding me. I'm going to put that in a column that I'm writing about things you notice when you watch Force Awakens at home. There you go. Perfect. Um, I really liked it for a number of reasons, and I was surprised, too, because, again, it was just like, well, 3PO, I guess. It's a one-shot. It explains a bit of trivia, and I know everybody is going to ask me, knowing that I've read or assuming I've read the comic, well, what happened to his arm? And I read it because I was like, well, I'm going to have to explain it to people, so I might as well read it. And I was I was really surprised by how much I liked it, how they just dropped like a major story point. Wait a second. I love how you have to check things out because you have to explain stuff to people so often. I think that's awesome. <laughs> um, I, it happened. You know, like people just ask me questions about the Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. It's just it's cool. You're you're a lot more. Uh, inept or you're a lot more. You're a lot better no, at that than I after am. that. After that. Uh, after that business last last week about telling uh telling our listener to leave his wife yeah. yes i am much more inept <laughs> no you you're just you're better at uh, helping people out than <laughs> i am far more knowledgeable anyway back to the comic like so basically 3po the mission he's on is to get the coordinates from a first order droid because he is like the chief uh droid um like espionage officer mm-hmm. or communications officer um they've captured a, like a first order droid and they're trying to discern the location of Admiral Akbar because he's been abducted by the first order prior to the events of the force awakens. Okay. Which is huge, right? Like Akbar's in the movie. They've yeah. obviously had to mount a rescue. Three PO played a vital part in that mission. Um, oh, this is interesting to me. Like the different things we know, like, cause you're like, Oh, the story part. And I like, I, read that but i was much more interested in the fact that the story goes into droids and programming and sort of how they're human in ways they're not and are they just on a certain side like they point out this one droids like you could have been on my side before we have our memories wiped all the time like you might have been with the first order at one point well that side of it was what i ended up really liking about the book and i i really like that too and it echoed a little bit of uh it echoed a little bit of that episode of Rebels with AP5's introduction, right? They're similar sort of droids. Um, and and who knows, maybe this droid was AP5 and his memory had been wiped. And maybe it seemed like it, this issue was maybe touching on things that we'd kind of seen a little bit or things similar to in Rebels. And maybe that's why it got pushed. Um, because you had that treatment of droids philosophy discussion going on, which is something we got. Uh, with AP5, and then the very next episode, they're fending off spider creatures, very much like the ones we see in this episode also. Or in this issue. Yeah, of the I know comic. what you're saying. Yeah. And I don't know if that occurred to you, Amy, if you noticed, or if maybe I'm just making it up and, and crazy. <laughs> Anything is possible. Well, you're always crazy, so... Um, But no, I... I and that, that was like the best idea I could come up with about why it might have gotten pushed. But... I really like that it it implies so much story and that 3PO might not be so useless after all. 3PO isn't super useless. That was like talking about a new understanding that I recently gave him we found, or gained for him. We talked about droids on the last, um, I almost said issue, that's not the right word, uh, episode of Lattes with Leia. And 
Drea, who's incredible, my co-host, and just a super smart psychologist, awesome person, like totally. gave me this whole new perspective on 3PO and how this poor little protocol droid who's used to translating and, you know, like getting Padme's clothing in order or whatever he does is just thrown into this huge adventure. And that's not like, and he's scared and trying to find his way. And sometimes it comes out as him being incompetent or annoying and any, like, I'm not trying to plug my own show, but her, her fat, like her analysis of 3PO is so fascinating. I'm like, Oh, like I, so I'm just, you know, normally he annoys me, but now I have so much more, like I think about him in a different way because of what she said. Dre is very smart, very fun to talk to and listen to. So she's great on the show. You both are. I, I, I don't think that's promoting your show. I think you're talking about something cool that other people should be checking out. Thanks. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think that kind of fits with how Jar Jar is too. Well, yeah, he was Jar Jar before there was Jar Jar. Yeah. Kind of annoying. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But in this, I think there's there's like a tenderness in the comic that, that I didn't expect, right? And it, it does, like those themes of friendship between droids where we're watching this undercurrent where they're realizing that, yeah, like like we could have, like our memories are wiped all the time. I love that flash in the episode. He kind of has flashes of things that, he'd experienced before his memory was wiped and he like the way 3PO describes the images of the prequel trilogy was really 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 fascinating to me and well, I guess I'm gonna have to read it I didn't I didn't pick it up because I didn't think that I'd really care but now I gotta yeah. I don't want to ask about the arm on the show I don't want to spoil that for anybody so I'll have to learn that and and all the all the stuff you're pulling from it I, I didn't it's think cool. it'd be that interesting well cool yeah it yeah. is and cool. the way he got like it's that surprised me, like what the significance of the arm is. Yeah. Well, and there's a sentimentality to it that you don't expect from a droid either. Um, but Yeah, which ties into that. Yeah, I thought that was a super fascinating exploration. Let me see if I can find I'm pulling it up. I'm going to get the, the things he says about the, uh, the, the past. He says, uh, I see flashes for oh, just a right. moment. For just a moment, places, rocks, a factory of droids, an arena in the middle of a battle. My body, not my own. A green world with hills, underwater cities. A single city spread far as my optical sensors could see. A temple on fire. Smoky mountains of magma, fire, and suffering. Yes, I have memories too. And yes, sometimes I allow myself to wonder about them. But I also accept it is a droid's lot in life to be in the service of its master. Wow. Which, yeah, like I wasn't expecting like, Shakespeare in the park with with three PO, but that's what we got. It was really good. Yeah, that was pretty deep. Well, great. Now I gotta go go to the comic shop now. Thanks. Well, no, I think it was funny. Like when you were like uh, when we were deciding what we were gonna talk about for this episode, and you were like, uh, "Use guys, go ahead and uh, you like how I did that with the use use guys." Yeah, uh, use guys, go ahead and uh, just talk about three PO because I I don't, I don't plan on reading it. Yeah. Oh, and can I say quickly, we have been so remiss and not even mentioned. Who worked on this comic? Um, I just realized that was kind of a big move. Uh, the 3PO one shot, for those of you who are curious, is by writer James Robinson and artist Tony Harris, who I believe uh, they're from, I mean, many things, but Starman most prominently. Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, I think so. I, I don't remember off the top of my head. But I felt like uh, we should probably mention who made this. Yeah. I've said the word fascinating too many times. The show, I've met my quota. The super great comic. No, I was like, it's it's genuinely surprising, like how much a comic about three PO can add to your understanding of droids. And now I really want the story of like, um, like is Poe Dameron gonna go be the one who rescues 
Admiral Akbar? Like, is that uh, a one shot that we're going to get in a movie some other time? Or are we going to get a book about that? Is that going to tie in any of the, uh, you know, maybe maybe adapt a little bit of the Legends stuff when during the height of the Empire he'd been captured by Tarkin? Who knows? Like, oh, and I just had another stray thought. What you mentioned, like all the stuff about droids, is kind of dove into in you know a mere what twenty some pages. I think that in this three PO comic, there's stuff that all those boring droid arcs in the Clone Wars could have benefited from having. And maybe I should give those arcs in the Clone Wars another chance. Well, I, I, I um, you're talking about the D Squad with the. Uh... Well, there was like a, a droid arc every other season. I feel like, and they were always they were the most boring. Yeah, because there was so much other stuff going on that you just wanted to get through them to see the other stuff. And yeah. I, so like in season one, you've got Downfall of a Droid, which is when Ron Perlman's uh, Trandoshan character sort of abducted R2, right? And I thought, those are my favorite episodes of the whole series, um, where where Goldie was, like sold him out and was a spy, and Anakin sends Ahsoka to face General Grievous alone because his attachment to R2 is so great that he's that insistent on on uh getting R2 back because he like has never wiped R2's memory like the like I thought that was interesting I thought in that it plays into the themes of this comic where um Anakin was so attached to his droid that he never ever um wiped his memory so R2 has this different perspective that 3PO doesn't have at all. But then in like season two, you've got the uh the the ones where R2 and 3PO are sort of having their like their Wizard of Oz and 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 Gulliver's Travels um episodes. And those were those were like maybe two or three episodes tops. And and there there are um they're definitely meant for the younger viewers because they're very just fun fairy tales. Um, and uh, what else? I don't know. The D squad ones kind of had that too, because you had like, yeah, you should give them another chance. But like the, the one droid one I liked is when there was all those R units, R2 units. Yeah. Yeah. D squad. Oh yeah. 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 Is that what that was? was? The D squad. That one with Gascon. Yeah. yeah. You don't like me for Gascon? No, not particularly. <laughs> well, I thought... <laughs> I love how we're all so different. There's, like, things that we're all on board with, and then there's stuff we're like, eh, not so much. The thing I found so interesting about Mieber Gascon, though, is the arc of his character, where at the beginning it's like, droids are tools, and I'm going to take this one's memory out so I can have a cushy place to sit and command this mission, and you're all idiots, and that's how it's going to be. And I can understand how that's going to be grading, but then the rest of the droids have to deal with the fact that like they have to teach Gascon like how droids can think independently and how they can be better than um someone like him who's like a a field commander or whatever and they they could think more creatively which is a contrast to the battle droids in that situation and he kind of comes around on it especially when he has to to watch how the droids react to the loss of the other droids you know when when one of the other droids sacrifices itself for them to get through before the the comets business like it's an emotional moment for everybody and gascon kind of has to like process that and his tone changes by the end of the arc uh for how he feels about droids and i thought that was really really good i always feel like brian finds like the most thoughtful like insightful ways to look at everything and then i'm like oh and i'm just like i didn't like the character i feel 
Yeah, sometimes I feel I don't give enough thought to it because, like, Brian doesn't have this elegant reason why, and I'm like, I'm just a jerk. And, like, he just annoyed me. So, not the, the character, not Brian, obviously. Sometimes. So I'm like, I didn't, I didn't even really go into that, and it makes me feel a little guilty. No, no, rewatch them. There's so much there. There's so much there. I always try to go back through and watch that, that whole run every couple months just to uh, touch base on it. And we're going to talk about that a little later in the show, too. So, um, Going from there, let's go to the Poe comic. So why don't you tell us what you liked about it, Mike? Um, I like that the uh, I like to put the Black Squadron together. I thought that was cool. I like that the one guy wants to go. I don't remember names. Only got to read it once before we started the show. He wants to go with and Poe's telling him, "Well, you know, not this time, but the uh, we need pilots. We need pilots. So it's going to be your turn soon." Uh, he was an Abednego, and his name was uh, Adi Adi Muva, which is like body moving which yeah. is like beastie boys <laughs> and then i love that the back of the comic wait there's something that says sabotage at some point in this comic yeah i thought i saw I was that like, too yes yeah so just overall it's, it's nice to see poe with uh leia we did see like some special features some little clips of that with the uh, deleted scenes but uh her talking to him and, and them talking about uh finding why can't i say his name Lord santaka yeah him and uh so I just I like that there's something before Force Awakens if we're seeing them try to get a hold of him, try to get this uh this information on how to find Luke. So I I, I liked I liked it. It added a little bit to Force Awakens for me. And, and I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna read it a couple more times. Like I said, I I went through it real fast so I could not be spoiled by you guys talking about it. I really I really like Bill Noto's art. I think that there's just a really like he's gotten so much better over the years at his sequential uh art. Yeah, no, it looks good. Like, I don't know if you guys remember Phil Noto back in the day, but like his, like he did one shots of like Danger Girl and stuff or J. Scott Campbell stuff. And like his sequentials were just really limp, like everything was a pinup. But I think over the years, he's really learned how to nail like sequential art and storytelling. And uh, he can do it in a frame now, whereas before maybe it wasn't as, as solid. And I, did you guys see his, uh, that Rogue One poster he did? Yes. Yeah. That's the That's, background on my phone. And, like, I think it's so cool that kind of how he got started working with Lucasfilm was the Force Awakens fan art he did, like, the day the first teaser came out on Thanksgiving weekend. That started, like, his, not relationship with them, but, you know, that was, like, I don't say that God had the job, but it attracted his notice. And he did, like, the illustrations in Before the Awakening and uh, those Han, Leia, and Luke middle grade novels. Why don't they have him doing the posters? Right? I think that we should get a do-over on the, the theatrical poster for Force Awakens and make it Phil Noto, I, if, if for whatever reason we're not getting Drew Struzan. All it shows you, though, and, and I want to point this out to the younger fans that are listening to this show, keep up with what you love. You may not be great at something at first, but over the course of time, he has done a lot of art, and he's gotten better at it. His art was always amazing. Like his art's always been fantastic, but his ability to put a story together that drags your eye across the page and tells the story with the imagery rather than like really heavy dialogue. Mm -hmm. um, that's what he's just improved vastly at that. I mean, his art has gotten better too, but it was always just like gorgeous. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, the storytelling felt stiff. Uh, the only significance that I kind of missed, and again, it's because I re read through it very fast, uh, the giant Fabergé egg that the people are protecting. What is the significance of that egg? 
I I've got like a really like like college grade like symbolism answer that I think, but I can't really tell until the till it's over. Okay. Do you want to not talk about that? I'm waiting. No, I can. I mean, like, it, but it, it sounds like so nerdy and pretentious to say, like, reading this comic, I really felt like the egg represented the you know the the unborn gestation of what the Jedi represent. So bringing Luke back is essentially like. Uh, guarding this egg until it's ready right it won't hatch until luke can come back like that it's symbolic and i don't know if that's on purpose or that's me reading too deeply into it but um these people are guarding this secret so that it can whatever whatever that is um and i don't know well poe says like you're gonna let billions of people die because of this like yeah no it, it definitely like it served as a microcosm for what's going on with luke okay can i just say sense. like I'm looking at that page, and this takes it to a completely much less intelligent level, but I really like that Poe is... Because, you know, Poe's not the most eloquent of characters. He has pretty limited vocabulary as far as he says things like, you know, give it all you've got all the time. Like, he's just not... He's so I like that he guy. says things. He is. He's an action guy, and I think that Charles Sewell, um, who wrote this book, really captured his... Like his tone, his attitude, everything about him, like the dialogue spot on, but that he just looks at that lady and is like, I'm not here to hurt your egg. Like I like your egg. Yeah. I'm like it's just such a Poe, such a Poe thing to say. Yeah, can we get together, pal? We're friends now, pal. Which speaks so much to how like how little screen time Oscar Isaac had, but how how uniquely he defined that character with what time he had. Yeah, there wasn't a lot, but it was very significant. He used up, he used well the time he did have. Like yeah. it was almost like Oscar Isaac's like, I've only got thirty lines in this movie. I better make every <laughs> single syllable count. Yeah. And I like that. So I interviewed Charles Sewell and Marvel editor Jordan White about this comic for an upcoming issue of Star Wars Insider. And they talked about how, you know, they didn't get to see the movie before they started work on the comic. They kind of knew the gist, but that they were kind of relieved that once the movie came out, the like they, they saw a time to edit the first like go round, but that Charles captured the dialogue pretty, pretty well from that's just kind of be... there. I'm like, that has to be so hard. I, it has to be like I when uh, for the listeners who listened to my that interview I did with Claudia Gray, like she had to turn in her first draft of Bloodline before she saw Force Awakens. Wow. Which is crazy to yeah, me. Like, that's how nuts. do you like a script for a comic that leads into the movie? That's a big deal. But like everything that defines Leia before having seen what defines Leia and what the relationships are, and Claudia was like, I don't want to know. I don't want to know anything about the movie. Tell me everything I have to know, but I don't want to know anything else. Like, I don't know. It's crazy to me. It, working in that vacuum seems like you really have to trust your editors who do know, and, and the story group. It also goes yeah. along with, like, when we're talking to Vanessa about, they have, she has no idea what's going on with Rebels, but she has to put on a performance ahead of what, what's airing her even seeing it. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, how she's like, there. she's like, I, uh, you know that she hadn't, she hadn't seen the season two finale and had no idea any of that had happened, but she was recording episodes of season three. That's yeah, crazy. That is crazy. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit though of uh, so when I did uh, when I was talking to the Disney Infinity guys, right? Mm -hmm. And they were talking. It, it was uh, they couldn't nail the. It was when they were working on Disney Infinity two. 
and they were doing all the Marvel stuff, and Guardians of the Galaxy was one of those things that they had to incorporate in the game. And they couldn't get Yondu right. And they were like, they'd submitted the scripts for Yondu, like, repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And because Yondu, the character in the comics, is not anything like Yondu, the character in the movies. And they were like, they got the direction like, oh, okay, so here's the thing with Yondu. You know Michael Rooker from Walking Dead? He's playing him. Just write him like he's his Walking Dead character. And they're like, we rewrote all of his like dialogue and the tone of all of it like that. And they approved all of it like first time. Wow. And we just didn't have any idea because we hadn't seen the movie. And we were like confused by why Yondu would be doing that. So we took all the stuff he was supposed to say, wrote it like, you know, Michael Rooker from from Walking Dead's character, you know, just kind of a redneck. And then it, it went through, and, and it's it's interesting that you have, like, that level of people, like editorial and the story group at Lucasfilm, that have to be able to, to do that and come up with ways of telling people, like, directing people to do stuff like that. Without giving away the farm. Yeah. Has to be hard. I don't know. So, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with yes. the Poe comic? Yeah. Okay. I want to talk about the BB-8 story in the back by Chris Eliopoulos and Jordan Belair because I think it's adorable. It's BB-8 like set, like makes a love connection for two pilots. Oh, all spoilers. No, no, that's fine. I'm I've just saved <laughs> that part because I was going to read it with Anya later. So by all means. Oh, Anya will love it. But no, it's just a cute little you know few page story, and I love uh, Chris Eliopoulos's art. For and those who for those who aren't familiar with him it's a little bit like bill waterston art but a little yes. bit more cartoony yeah and it's called sabotage and it's s-a-b-b s-a-b-b-a-b-b-o-tage so you had the I, beastie boys reference and i don't know it's perfect i love it i wonder um where does stuff like that because that feels like the sort of comic you'd see in an art style and tone of story that you'd see in the old Star Wars Tales magazines that gave us, like, Skippy the Jedi droid and uh, Infinity's sorts of ideas or, like, Sergio Argonas, you know, drawing about the pod race. It's not, like, canon, but does this does this count? Are these pilots, like, in and future writers could use them? I mean, I guess they can anyway, but... Uh, does that am I making sense? Like, yeah. does this fit yeah. with everything? I don't know. Yeah, I know that I got to that part of the book, and I'm like, "What just happened?" Because the art was completely different, and it took me a couple lines to realize, "Oh, this is in addition to." And I'm like, "Oh, I'll just save it." I, I really liked about the Poe comic. It's like I really liked the Chris Eliopoulos comic. It was charming and adorable, and maybe that's why I just assumed like this is too adorable. To, to count in the canon. <laughs> and well, maybe I kind of looked at it like the Lego movie, kind of. Or the Lego yeah. not movie, but the Lego stuff. No, that's canon. Huh? Han Solo ran into Batman. Like, Batman took the Millennium Falcon. Oh, the Lego movie is canon. Yes, yeah. clearly. Obviously. Yeah. Um, because it was in a movie, right? Like, that's the... <laughs> it's in a movie. Yeah. The rule of thumb. Um, no, no. The, the Poe Dameron comic, like, proper. Like, I really loved how they were able to capture the feeling of flying. Like, I can imagine X-Wing combat probably works a lot better on screen than in a comic book. So that was kind of the thing I was most wary about um, with 
Poe Dameron because I was like, well, he's a hotshot pilot. Like, how exciting is is the the flying going to be? And uh, I was really surprised. Like, there were some nail biters. Like, that moment where the X-Wing's going through those doors. Yeah, or the ceiling yeah. coming down. Yeah. Yeah. And just that gives me an opportunity to plug it further. That is the thing I talked about with Charles Sewell in the interview about the Poe Dameron comet coming to a Star Wars Insider soon. Perfect. <laughs> I cannot wait to read that because I'm curious how he how he handled that and how thoroughly he had to script that or if it was just like, hey, Phil Noto, you're great. Uh, here's what's going on. Like, Figure this I out, think, friend. Yeah, here's five lines of dialogue and they're flying through somewhere and it's going to be a hairy situation. Make that awesome. Have fun. Yeah, there was some, there was some nail butters. I agree. Which is weird. Like, you just don't think about that kind of motion. No, not in the next wing. I mean, when you're doing like what reading a Spider-Man comic and there's a lot going on, like, I don't really think of the action that way being affected, but watching an X-Wing fly around on screen and blow up a bunch of TIE fighters and then him flying through a cavern, I didn't think it would be all that exciting. And I was wrong. But I wanted to, um, you mentioned Bloodline and your yeah. interview earlier. Right. So, so uh, I'm about 200 pages through Bloodline, which comes out May 3rd. And... Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, and I don't want to say too much about it. But what I do want to say is that, uh, um, you know how like the old internet used to work, where you'd load up a page, and a photo would be there, and it would just be a blurry mess. And then as the connection got better, and it downloaded more information about it, like it would peel away layers of the blurriness until it got more in focus. Yeah, yeah. That's what this book is doing. I didn't realize how blurry an image we had of the time between of the, the political situation between return of the Jedi and the force awakens until this sort of peeled a layer back on that. And, and it's putting it more in focus and it's amazing. And I haven't finished it yet. And if it's going to that thrilling end that I think it's going to from the, where I'm at now, I'm going to be more in love with it than just about any other book. Can you give an example of peeling those layers away? Oh, I don't um, want to know. Unless you can do it vaguely. Well, I can tell you something from the first chapter. Is that okay? Yes, it's okay with me. Yeah. Um, in the first chapter, they actually have, like, a scene of, like, a flashback of Han's fatherhood. Hmm. Which is not something, like, we, we kind of have, like, this j vague general idea of what... Han and Leia must have been like parent as parents, and we're we're getting a much more closer look at that indirectly, very indirectly, um, and we're getting a much different look at the timeline. Like right now, the timeline was very vague. At what point in the timeline are Leia and Han, General Organa and Smuggler Han Solo? At what point in the timeline does Ben, um? go nuts and take off and kill everybody. Uh, at what point does Luke disappear? Um, we still don't know for sure, but this has, has focused in a little bit of that in, in really surprising ways. Wow. If that, if that makes sense. I can't wait to start it tomorrow. I'm saving so, it for my flights. So there is one thing that I was very surprised in the book to see. And listeners of the show are going to be very excited about this. 
so uh do you guys remember back uh let me see how long ago it was um we had a, a listener tweet us and we talked about it so it was our show from last july um called hut slayer yeah i remember that and we had we had a listener kind of tweet us a little bit before that and said hey we don't like the slave leia thing why don't we start calling her hut slayer well claudia gray in all of her is infinite wisdom has made this a reality and that at at one point in the book uh leia is revered as the hut slayer no way that's yes. so cool that is cool because that's how i've been referring to her ever since that show so hopefully it'll catch on a little bit more and uh um the the twitter follower of ours that it was her name was angie and she was tonks 17 on twitter um i uh i hope she's very excited about it that is really really cool i i like it was like i literally i got to the page it happens on page 65 and i got to that page and i was just like this is the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> and I needed I needed a smile at that point because there were things like I have been so close to tears like three or four different times during this book. Wow. Oh, I can't wait to start it. I can't hype the book enough. Like, I'm excited. It's so and good I'm so far. Looking forward to a long flight for once. This is great. And it's it's uh all the political machinations I wanted out of the Force Awakens um are here. I mean, obviously, it's a it's a book about Princess Leia before she becomes, or Senator Organa, before she becomes General Organa. Of course, there's going to be political maneuverings, and uh, Claudia Gray has captured all of the best vibes from from all of the best Senate scenes in the films, without seeing the movie beforehand. I can't even imagine how she dealt with this. <laughs> how she dealt because there are things that, like. She must have just watched the movie, like, with her mouth agape. And she was saying, like, I don't know if you guys uh, heard the interview. She was talking about how, like, there were three or four things that, like, I wanted to change because I knew I saw the movie after it was turned in, but while I could still do revisions. And so she tweaked a few things to put it more in line with the movie. But, man, it, it, it's, I mean, holy Snokes. It is, so good. <laughs> it is so good so far. There's a new and one, it, Amy. I love it. Holy Snokes. I, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I'm talking it up too much, but like everybody really liked Lost Stars, and this, is, this at this point feels as good as Lost Stars, and it's giving us something new. And I think it's going to be interesting when people get this, because I, I think Aftermath, right? Aftermath feels enough like the old EU, like, the further you get away from Return of the Jedi, the harder it is to reconcile the the Legends universe and the new stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, so Aftermath doesn't have that hard of a job in skating those lines. Aftermath is, like, largely all new characters. It's about a battle just after Return of the Jedi, and we don't really get a picture of what's going on with all the other characters, right? So it's like it doesn't deviate that fully from it doesn't feel like like it could totally fit with heir to the empire you know what i mean yeah well see i'm on board on anything that's going to make force awakens better for me 
Oh, and this this absolutely is. Yeah, so just for that, I am excited. Not to not to belittle what you did, but you know what I'm saying? Remember that feeling you got when you first discovered all the deleted scenes with Biggs and then watched A New Hope and watched their interaction like or when when you learned about the deleted scenes with Biggs or listened to the radio dramas and all those scenes with Biggs and Luke and knew how close they were. And then you saw in the special edition that scene where, where Luke and, and Biggs are together. Yeah. And then Biggs's death is all of a sudden like one of the most emotionally impacting moments. Yeah. Because like initially it really wasn't a big deal. Corsella is like a secondary character in this. And I think it's going to have the same impact with her character watching Force Awakens over again and watching her terror on Osnium Prime. Oh, like, yeah, because that was a little bit in another book that I'm spacing out on, or a comic that she showed. Oh, the novelization, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I think Corsella is one of those characters that is going to have uh, a bigger life in the, the canon um, than just that one panicked look on Hosnian Prime exciting um, so help me out with this though so she had she didn't see the movie she didn't really know what was going on but she's given a kind of like a bible of characters who she should be focusing on or how does that work well i think they gave her some some people to work with uh you know they 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 definitely worked with her on the outline and and kind of told her what the state um what what the state of the galaxy was okay. and how drastically it would change and i'm really curious like like I haven't finished the book yet, but like one of the the big the big uh, the big marketing push is that Leia's running for a post called first senator, and reading the book and realizing like well what what do they need a first senator for? They have a chancellor, and like very early on in the book they're like well we want to do that to get rid of the whole chancellor thing, and then knowing that there's a chancellor in the Force Awakens is kind of like raising my suspicions about where it's going, and I don't know it's just it's a really tense like book of political intrigue. And uh, I have no idea where I was starting and where I ended up. Is there a lot of action in the book, too, or is it more just political? Yeah, based? there is. No, I, uh, Claudia Gray has this amazing. Remember what she did with Nash Windrider? Yeah. Yeah. Wh- where it's like. By the I, way, one of the best names ever. I love totally. Oh, yeah, name. totally. There's a there's a guy in this book called Joff Striker. Huh. They should just <laughs> let her do more. Name everybody. Books. Yeah. Um, well. But uh, you know how with Nash Windrider, there's that idea that, like, I see what he's experienced, and I don't agree with him, but I understand his character. She's so good at making you understand people that you vehemently disagree with that it's crazy, especially in a book about politics, where she has to very capably, like, with... George Lucas did himself a lot of favors in the prequels where it's like, well, here's the separatists and here's the people who want the Republic together. And it felt so much like the civil war, like it made sense, but this feels more contemporary with that gridlock about with, with partisanship. And I can't tell if I can't tell which side is supposed to be a parody of which side in the real world, if that makes sense. But, she does such a good job of explaining the perspectives of the characters and creating this environment that it's just uh, like, I don't know. I really love political intrigue in star Wars. I love it outside of star Wars and she just does it so well. It's it's she should not, 
be like legally allowed to have so much talent. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know. Uh, like, I, I can't. So, Amy, you're hopping on this tomorrow. Yeah, I'm. That's my my plan for my five hour flight to Orlando, and maybe please, on the flight home too. Please text me. Like you'll. I don't know. Like please text me when you get through it. Like I'm going nuts. Like you have no idea how restrained this conversation is. <laughs> None. Like there's some things that go down. There's some stuff that happens. There's things that I know that I don't want to ruin for anybody, but I need to talk about it because it's important. Wow. Okay. So that comes out May 3rd, just in time for Star Wars Day. So everybody on May the 4th is going to be busy reading this. And if you like Force Awakens or if you like the EU or not the... Legends. The, well, no, no, no. I don't, no. No, if you like, if you like the books... I spent. What, what are the books called now? By the way, Star are they Wars called? Books. Okay. No, I I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. Like this is the thing. Like the vocabulary changed. The vocabulary changed uh, because of this switchover. But for me, for twenty years, the books were the expanded universe. You know, like now, like what do I call that? Like, I don't yeah, really like, think we have to put a name on it. You know what I mean? Why? Well, it's just to make I it like easier having... to talk about it. Yeah. That's... Like, I guess it's just the books, but I always feel like it should be called, I don't know, but you're right. Like, the expanded universe is just the, the first word that comes to my, my brain when I think of the books. The books and the comics and the yeah. stuff. But not, but not the TV shows. Um, so they, they are the books. I don't know. I still want to call them the expanded universe, and then the legends expanded universe like they're all an expanded universe they're all expanding the universe of star wars and they're all making oh i see what you're saying better okay i get what you're saying wow like they've been they've been knocking out of the park and and i can't wait for aftermath the the new one the life that the whole liberation of kashyyyk um you know and and i can't like i just want to see what they're doing with the, the rogue one prequel too and do I keep making up? There isn't a Lost Star sequel, right? I'm just making that up in my head that I want one. Um, Claudia Gray in her interview said that there are no plans for that, but she has ideas of where it might go. I but, love that book so much. But I think kind of the, if I'm remembering correctly, because the interview I did with her was a few weeks ago, that she wants sort of more of the universe to be filled out before she... The more of the back. universe in that era to be filled out before she goes back and takes those characters anywhere else. That makes sense. Because right now, the only person doing anything... Um, well, no, I mean, she's the only person who's done Jakku, hasn't she? Because Aftermath... Yeah, and after where, that. Aftermath is before. I thought it was after Jakku. I thought Aftermath was after Jedi before Jakku. Yes, it, you're it was, right. Sorry. It was before, you're right. Because there's that interlude where that guy's like, I'm taking right. my family to Jakku because nothing ever happens there. Yep. They're like, yep, nothing does. Right. Just real quickly, speaking of Jakku and stuff, the um, I don't know if you played it recently, Brian, but I haven't been able to. And I put it on Battlefront the other night and I downloaded all the updates. There's some amazing maps on that now. Is it is it uh, wrong of me to confess that Anakin and I have level capped at level 60 on Battlefront? Have you? Yeah. No, I don't think that's wrong. I, w- I really, really, really wanted to get my uh, my Shadow Trooper gear, and then all I've been doing is playing the, the squadron, the flying around. You don't get a lot of points that way. Um, I close. got 
I got at level sixty. You can buy a weak way. Oh, and yeah? That's what I want, and I got that. And like, I don't know. It's weird. Like people are like, "Man, I don't have the time you have to play video games." And it's like, well, two things. One, I'm splitting it with the boy. Yeah. But the even the the boy must play it constantly because he's got his own account that's at like level forty five. Oh wow. But him and I don't play all that much. Um, you know, maybe maybe three or four hours a week on weekends. But it's uh, it's not like I'm not getting stuff done. I don't know. I feel like every time I tell people like, "Hey, I'm playing this video game." I don't think that you should have to worry about uh, telling people your stuff. You know, don't worry about it. You get your stuff done. However, you handle your time is how you handle your time. Yeah, and I definitely get stuff done. Yeah, I don't know. I just. Battle uh, the Graveyard of Giants, seeing all the, the um, Star Destroyers, like, on fire and stuff. That was really cool. So Yeah. I'm no, back. no. I'm I love the game. I love the way it looks. Like, Jabba's Palace is so fun to roam around in. And I wish... It's funny watching Scout play, because Scout will do... Like, I get too, too much anxiety playing if I'm not actually trying to meet my objectives or kill the other team or whatever. Uh-huh. But Scout will play on the hero mode where you can be the heroes. Yeah. And she'll try to be Princess Leia like as often as she can and then just go hide and explore the map by herself and just look at all the fine detail. That's a good oh, idea. Yeah. yeah. And I love watching her play because she does this. Like she found, like I didn't even notice it and would have never noticed it. But in the Jabba's Palace map, if you go down to the Rancor dungeon, there's actually a dead Rancor crushed under a bunch of rocks there. No. Yeah. Well, that's and cool. Scout, I watched her spend like 20 minutes just totally like, well, not 20 minutes, but most of one round of a game where they were trying to find her and kill her, but because she wasn't showing up on their radar, they never checked the <laughs> Rancor pit. And she was just down there checking it out going like, it's so sad that he died. I wonder if they also have that guy who's crying about him. Uh-huh. And, uh, but yeah, she just explores maps. It's not a bad idea. That's cool. I mean, they put yeah. all the effort into making them. I didn't mean to hijack the conversation. I just, like I said, the last couple of weeks, it's been nuts, and I haven't been able to even turn the game on. And then the other night, I had like a couple hours. I had like two hours. I'm like, oh, I'll play for a little bit. The next thing I know, it's like 3 a.m., and I'm like, I got to get to bed. So I'm going to have to try to schedule some play time more often, I guess. Are we done talking about the book? Yeah, I think so. It's good. Yeah. That's really all you need. All right. Well, as soon as it comes, I'm going to start reading it, too. Amy, I want your uh, thumbs up or thumbs down when you're reading it, too, if you could send me a message. You got it. Thank you. So, Brian, you were talking before the show, and then you might have said something at the beginning of the show about a homework assignment that we're going to have this week. Yeah, so um, next week, I want to talk about the balance of the force. And in order for us to talk about the balance of the force, I think we need to rewatch the uh, the Mortis arc. Mm-hmm. And maybe the Yoda episodes from the Lost Missions of Clone Wars. And I'll probably do a little bit more, too. I, I might I might get into and, and watch. Uh, I might also try to watch, rewatch the the episodes where Ezra and Kanan go into Jedi temples mm-hmm. on Rebels. Um, but. Uh, it's just two of them, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And and really see if we can unpack what the balance of the force is and what it means and uh, what clues Clone Wars can give us for that. Um, because I think it's something that, that I don't know, doing a lot of panels um, about Star Wars at conventions and stuff, it's one question that, that comes up a lot. Like, 
what was the balance of the force? Was it the balance of the force for Anakin to kill all of the Jedi so that there were two Jedi and two, two Sith? Was it the balance of the force for Anakin to toss Palpatine into the, uh, the reactor core? Was it the balance of the force for, uh, any of the stuff that happens on Mortis? Well, no one brings up Mortis and I think Mortis changes all of that. And, uh, I think if we all watch it, have it fresh in our minds, and uh, unpack that, it might be an interesting conversation for people. Okay. It is written down. I'll make sure I get that done. Amy, you just recently watched the Mortis Trilogy, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I, I paired it with the Season 2 Rebels finale, but I'm going to watch it again. Because it's my favorite Clone Wars story anyway. Cool. All right, so that's for next week, then. Yes. Well, We'll do that. Did we want to do any mail really quick, or are we just out? I, I, do have, I do have one bit of mail. Yeah, let's do some mail real quick. So there's this one. So we had our listener, Ryan, uh, email us, and uh, he, uh, he said, I don't ha- uh, my mom would tell you that I get my emotional side and my sentimentality from her, but I've always felt that it's just us recognizing sincerity and heart within others. I don't have a favorite Rebels character. I've never put that much thought into it. I've just enjoyed the show like everyone else. However, when season three starts and we are once again reunited with our favorite band of heroes, I know there will be a new soft spot for Hera. To hear Vanessa be that emotionally invested in events that didn't even involve Hera was amazing. That entire moment really hit me, and I began to cry as Vanessa cried. She cares like we do, I thought. Some people say that certain actors just are their characters, and that might be true, like Harrison Ford. As for Hera, it'll now be impossible not to watch and listen for Vanessa's heart. Hera's changed forever in a way I didn't think was possible. I know it wasn't Vanessa's intention, but it's something I can't separate. I feel like that might be a Star Wars thing. Congrats on a great show, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts on the Rogue One trailer. Well, Ryan has heard our thoughts on the Rogue One trailer now. And uh, we got this great email form, and I had to forward it to Vanessa. Cool. And Vanessa, Vanessa emailed me back immediately saying that the email made her cry. Of course it did. Huh. But she, she actually got in contact with Ryan after that and told him how much it meant to her, and it was great. But I just thought that was like a really interesting thing, and I, it made me grateful for doing the show because sometimes the level of toxicity online can be exhausting and it was just it was nice that is nice and just again it speaks to how awesome vanessa is contacting him and you know that's cool yeah that is cool he's amazing do you have any other emails that i pass along you guys want to read real quick or just grab a couple here yeah yeah just grab a couple that was the one that was the one i wanted to get into that when i no it's a great email all right let's grab a a couple real quick before we we get out of here uh this is from uh franklin I'd like to say thanks to everyone at Full of Sith for doing an amazing job at running the show and discussing your Star Wars fandom. Your show is one of the longest ones I've followed since I got listening into listening to podcasts. The reason I still listen is because of how respectful everyone is, even if they always don't agree. After listening to the episode with Bethany Blanton, I have been thinking of ways your show, other podcasters, and fans could promote positive vibes of the fandom. I recently started thinking of possibly forming a group, but couldn't think of how it would work. What I have thought of is hashtag... Uh, S-W-R-T-F, to be precise, which is Star Wars Respect the Fandom. It is a reminder and a pledge to be kind to the other and fellow Star Wars fans. Not one person is the same, and it is uncalled for to bully their interests in fandom. I hope to achieve awareness and 
fellow Star Wars fans to see the good in the fandom community and not be pulled down by slithering tendrils of negativity that overwhelm new potential fans. In the end, I feel Star Wars is about identifying who you are and who your family is. People change over time. Interests change over time. You don't have to always agree, but you must be respectful of each other. Thank you for taking the time to read this. And again, may the force be with you. That's from Franklin. So, and he's at at spear XXI on Twitter. And I think that's a cool idea. I think that ever since we've been trying to talk about this, I'm glad that people have been responding to it. Well, what do you guys think? I think it's great. I think it's great. I think positivity is great. I don't think I'm trying to say something without sounding like I, I don't think it's a good idea. I think it's good. I think it's good to promote positivity. I think you should do it all the time and not necessarily worry about the hashtag part and just leave by example. I think putting the hashtag on it is not counterproductive, but kind of if you're calling out being positive and calling out being nice, like we don't need to call that out. Just act that way. Yeah. I agree. I think if you just do it daily and every day and lead by example, I think that's the way to be. I think you're absolutely right. I I don't know. It's it's challenging for me sometimes too. like watching what's been going on with DC fandom has been really hard for me because right now there's not a lot of positivity there. Right. You're right. Yeah. And it's been hard for me to say, like, I want to I want people to be able to criticize the things in the fandom without people taking it personally that like the thing itself is not fandom. Right. Mm -hmm. So like Star Wars isn't Star Wars fandom and bullying someone in fandom is different than having a legitimate criticism about Star Wars. True. And I don't know. In DC, it's been really hard because, like, I did not like Batman v Superman. And expressing that opinion to some people feels like I am an expressing, I'm expressing an opinion against them. And I understand that to a degree because sometimes when people express opinions about the prequels, I feel like, Sometimes they're expressing opinions about me, um, if that makes sense. Well, that's how it gets to, yeah. yeah. But, like, uh, I, I think uh, that's what we need to do, um, is not take it personally when someone doesn't like the thing that we like. Yeah, I don't care if people like the stuff I like. And I'm, it, it makes me not want to. I, you seem like I you're struggling know. with this, Brian. I am because I really like Batman and I was so disappointed by the Batman v Superman movie. Which is funny because I liked it. Oh, I couldn't stand it. I left so angry. Oh, no. I went in. I did not expect much at all. I not necessarily was needing anything out of that movie. I went in. We watched it. There was a couple cool parts that we talked about on the way home and it was the last I thought about it. And then I see all these people discussing online about how much they hated and this and that. And that's fine. If they, they didn't like it, good. I didn't require anything of it, so I didn't take anything personally about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and and but there's there's a group of people who are kind of doing what happened to prequel fans, and I don't like it. Where it's like, I don't know. I see an over militarization of some prequel fans too, and I don't know how to. I don't know how to like. It's like I'm on board. Lead by example. I think what Amy said earlier is perfectly right. We don't need to. Uh, use hashtags or do anything like that. Just keep doing what you're doing and don't take things so personally. Even if people are like straight up attacking you, they're the ones that are being ignorant. So don't worry about it. But it does make it yeah. hard for people that can't, can't do that. They can't separate that. Like somebody bashes something I like. Okay, whatever. But you, you mean nothing in my life. I don't care. 
and I know people are hard on themselves and they take a lot of that stuff seriously. So just, we, we should all just continue to do what we're doing and do the right thing. Right. Yes. Okay. I'm going to read one more email. I had a couple other ones. We can get to them later. I have them saved, but we're running out of time. This one is on Ahsoka's death and it says, uh, so it seems like two of the crew uh, seem to believe it's absolutely that Ahsoka has to die before the original trilogy and that the Gandalfing of her coming back in some way is simply unfeasible. I would argue that's not true. I would argue that it's not even the Rebels crew that has to die before the series. It is unclear with Obi-Wan and Yoda that Jedi have quite effectively survived the purge and are not very likely not the only ones that survived it. It simply was a matter of laying low. So Ahsoka challenges Darth Vader and appears to die. He believes she is entirely dead and allows himself that grief. Ahsoka is severely injured and perhaps learns her lessons in challenging her foes and becomes a monk and meditating on her warrior ways and reinterpreting them, or she hides from the darkness and retreats into her normal life, abandoning her usage of the Force so they cannot find her again. While the Rebel Alliance that we see in the original trilogy seems to be the tight-knit troop, it is made clear in Rebels that they, op they operate in cells. What if the Rebels crew simply moves from a different cell? perhaps with Ahsoka in charge of it, along with other crews, and it simply never re-engaged in the obvious conflicts in the war. Even if she knew of Luke's rising, she might not want to be willing to go to him. She knows that Vader did it to him and isn't really ready to face her own fear, her own darkness, her old master again, so she stays in hiding, says nothing to anyone, and observes the war from her small section of it. Granted, I still think the most likely event is that she does die eventually, before the original trilogy, but I don't think canon requires it in any way, and that's from Riley. Huh. It's an interesting way to, to look at it. I do have one thought about that, and I don't think that Ahsoka... Or I think he mentioned that Vader would be grieving about Ahsoka or has grieved. I think he said that. Yeah. I don't think Vader grieved. I don't think... I don't think that was anything more than a normal day for him. Maybe slightly more, but an interview Dave Filoni did with um, I think IO9, but maybe Slash Film talked about how specifically like he didn't want any like Vader to have any sort of emotional reaction except with Luke like he did return the return of the Jedi he didn't think anybody else could get to Vader in the same way so I don't think I don't think Vader grieved over Ahsoka yeah he might have more so been on him down on himself for just not being able to whip some butt real quick but I think Anakin grieved for Ahsoka when she left the order yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And Vader killed Anakin. Anakin Skywalker was weak. I destroyed him. And I think regardless of what happened with Ahsoka and Vader and how, you know, at the end, though, she wasn't afraid. She was determined to help her old master. I don't think it would be an Ahsoka Tano thing to hide. I, I can't picture her seeing what's happening in the time of the original trilogy and saying, you know what? I'm just I'm scared. I'm done. I yeah. did my job. I'm going to sit here on this beach which isn't she wouldn't be staying on the beach either but i don't i don't see her taking a back seat yeah all right so real quickly um amy where can people find you on uh, the social medias and read your writings and all that like we usually do they can find me on twitter instagram and i've, I've jumped on the snapchat train at amy underscore geek by the way snapchat makes me feel super old because i don't know how to use it but yeah, i'm I getting don't there um, tanya's um, been showing me yeah, I had to learn from a, a much younger person. Yeah. Um, so and you can find my writing at StarWars.com and Nerdist.com. And I finally have some more stuff coming up in the next issue, uh, an upcoming issue of Star Wars Insider. Okay, cool. Other and Lattes with Leia. And Lattes with Leia, which you can find in the Coffee with Kenobi feed. 
There you go. And Brian? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Swankmotron, and you can find my writings at How Stuff Works and StarWars.com and Star Wars Insider and BigShinyRobot.com and uh, about my fiction writing at BrianYoungFiction.com. And uh, that's that's that. The next, the, the new issue of Star Wars Insider that's coming out, the cover story is 101, 100 things you might have missed watching The Force Awakens and connections to other things. And uh, I wrote that. Cool. So check it out. It's weird. Like, it might have been a completely different story writing that. Uh, if I'd have been able to write it now versus when I wrote it, it was through my seventh, eighth, and ninth time watching the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've noticed even more. I think I could have made a 200-item list with wow. as many times as I've seen it now. Wow. You do a part two. Perfect. Yeah, part two. <laughs> Catch that right now. Yeah. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so by using the SpeedPipe app on our website, which is fullofsith.com. There you can find all of our contact information. I'll say it again, like our Twitter, at Full of Sith, at the mic, at Swankmatron, at Amy underscore Geek. Also go to Facebook.com slash Full of Sith and like us if you haven't already. There's always some interesting conversation there. And, and I really want to reach out to everyone who's been uh, contacting us through the messenger on Facebook. Um, thank you. I didn't get to see a lot of those until this week when I went through it. So I tried to respond to as many as I could. I know Brian has been doing a really good job with that. Also, holocron at com. We do get the emails. I do get them and share them with Amy and Brian right away. As soon as I see them, it's usually once a week. I, I got to get better at that, but it's just been crazy. But um, besides that, me, you can find me at themike.com or mikepilot.com. It's the same thing. And uh, then we're going to end it right there. Oh, iTunes reviews. You can leave us an iTunes review, too, if you haven't already. Uh, we would appreciate it. So episode 163 of Full of Sith from my amazing and great co-hosts Amy Ratcliffe and Brian Young. I am the Mike Pilot. May the Force be with you. Always. If you'll not be needing me, I'll close down for a while. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.